Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Yokohama tires. Go to TireRack.com sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. This is Wins and Losses with Clay Travis. Clay talks with the most entertaining people in sports, entertainment, and business. Now, here's Clay Travis. Welcome in Wins and Losses podcast. I'm your fearless host, Clay Travis. I hope you guys have been enjoying the podcast so far. We have got a bevy of them, but this is the first that you have listened to. Go back through. It's summer. There's lots of opportunity to kill time. Maybe you're sitting at the beach. Maybe you're at a pool. Need something good to listen to on a drive while you got the kids in the back. Hopefully this can be a show that entertains you at least a little bit. And what we're doing here is exploring the wins and losses of a career through the prism of sports, media, politics, and business. And we've got a guy who is pretty familiar with a lot of those uh, areas, Dave Finocchio. He's one of the original co-founders of Bleacher Report. And we're going to get into that here uh, momentarily. But first of all, Dave, thanks for coming on with us. Thanks and, for having uh, me. And you're uh, here in Nashville getting ready for a triathlon, right? Yeah, first first triathlon I'm doing with a buddy tomorrow morning. So uh, they'll, there will either be a win or a, or a loss around <laughs> that as well. we'll How see. confident are you on the triathlon? What are you most nervous about? What particular aspect? Of uh, it? The swim, for sure. Yeah, I'm pretty... I'm pretty solid, like mentally on the bike and the run. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if I don't drown, I think I'll be okay. All right. So, uh, a lot of people I'm sure who are listening to us are familiar with what the Bleacher Report does now. But what I bet they're not very familiar with is how Bleacher Report became what it became. So let's go back in time. Uh, let's go first into your background. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? All of those things. Yeah. I grew up in a suburb of San Jose, California. So, Northern California, West Coast. Uh, went to high school out there and uh, um, ended up at Notre Dame in South Bend, Indiana. I've always been like a huge sports junkie my yes. entire life. Like went and visited that place, and the you know the hairs on my arm stood up, and I just wanted to go to school there so badly. So that I bet you didn't visit in the middle of the winter. No, I was one of those like classic trap trips where like had like seventy degree weather in yeah. April. Um, had like the perfect tour guide. It was like it was like all the wrong things lined up. Right as as uh. 
Is that was that a huge culture shock for you? The winter, the first year you were there, coming from southern, uh, Northern California. Uh, the winter was a shock, and also um, I'm not Catholic. I didn't grow up going to a Catholic school or anything. So just like that aspect of it, how religious Notre Dame is, combined with going like it was the first time I'd spent a lot of time with kids like from small towns in the Midwest, and yeah, just, it was it was great for me because I learned how to relate to all sorts of different people with different backgrounds and stuff that like seemed pretty foreign to me. Yeah. But, yeah, the first year was a super weird experience coming from California. I kind of had the same experience. I went away to college in Washington, D.C., and I grew up in Nashville where we're doing this interview uh, now. But it was a huge departure for me to suddenly be on the East Coast and be surrounded by East Coast kids. Uh, There were very few people similar to what I had grown up with in Nashville. Right. And uh, it was a total culture shock, but I think it toughened me up. Totally. Because if I had spent my entire life in the South, I came back to law school at Vanderbilt – I feel like I wouldn't have been as tough, uh, you know, just in terms of the way people behave and kind of that East Coast mindset, which I think really kind of suffuses media in general. It definitely made me more prepared for what I ended up doing for a living without even realizing that was happening. And I bet for you on some level, going to Notre Dame was important for what you would end up doing as well. Yeah, I went to I ended up going to Chicago after school. I did one of those classic like was dating a girl in college and and kind of followed her there. Um, I ended up. Like when I was when I was finishing up college, uh, um, I started thinking about what Bleach Report ended up becoming. Um, you know, you're like, so um, how? Let me st- stop you right yeah, here. Yeah, how, how old are you? I'm 36. I just okay, turned 36. So you just turned 36. So when you're in college, what was your experience like with the internet? Because what I tell people is, when I got to college, I'd never had an email before. I right. just turned 40, right? So I'm four years older than you. They gave me an email address. I was like, I mean, I, I was familiar. It's like I was not familiar with the internet, but we didn't have the internet at home. Yeah, your we life didn't revolve school. around it yet. Certainly yeah. did not revolve around it in any way. And uh, even, you know, when you got the email address, you would have to go to the computer lab on campus to get on the Internet. And I remember my freshman year, you were talking about how you liked sports. I was obsessed with sports. And for people, I bet you saw this, too. When you suddenly went to Notre Dame, I don't know what uh, what teams did you grow up a fan of in Northern California? Area teams, Giants, 49ers, yeah. Warriors are like my big three teams. So, I bet you found that it was a little bit hard to follow those teams when you got into Notre Dame because totally. it was such a regional sports universe. I'm a big SEC football fan. And, and so I kind of gravitated to the web because I remember the Chattanooga Times Free Press was the first one to get online. But when I started uh, in D.C., I would intern in the congressman's office and they would mail the newspaper. Yeah. And like I was so starved for local sports news that I would read multi-day old newspapers to try to keep tabs on what my favorite team was doing. Yeah. And what young people don't remember now, because maybe they just missed it, was, you know, the alternative sports center. And you maybe had to wait 40 minutes. Yeah. For your to team's get highlight. To two minutes. Right. Um, so that wasn't a great user experience either. Or you would sit and watch the ticker at the bottom of the screen to see score updates, yeah. right? I mean, which now seems yeah. totally foreign to anybody. But you might have to wait 10 minutes between, you know, you happen to catch it coming across the bottom. Yeah. And, and then you wait, and then suddenly it's changed a great deal. So, yeah, so I, I got you on that. So, like, my generation, or, you know, I'm, I'm just four years later than you, but our culture on school, like, revolved a lot around, you know, you've got a desktop computer, a laptop that's sitting in your apartment or your dorm room or whatever, and, like, everybody's on AOL Instant Messenger. Oh, yeah. So it's, like, social life revolved around that versus Facebook. Yes. Um, Facebook came out maybe, like, my junior year of college, but it wasn't a big, like, our lives didn't revolve around it yet. Uh, so there's that, and then I just found, like, I finished up my majors a little bit early in college. It's cold as hell, second semester in my senior year. And I was just like doing what you were doing. I was surfing the web a lot looking for sports content. Yeah. And that was when I start like I started to have these observations around 
one, um, like I had this broad observation around, I just thought my generation was kind of stuck with like our dad and grandfather's sports websites. I yes. just thought like the voices were old. A lot of the sports writers were, were older. Um, I bet in retrospect, their content probably didn't perform that well. It was like very wordy, uh, like content you wouldn't necessarily share with your friends. It wouldn't start a discussion. So that was one thing. It was like this content's old. It's not like shareable, snackable. It's not video content the way there is today. And then the other thing is I was an economics major in college and I just kept coming back to this like this premise that I thought there were pretty big supply and demand inefficiencies around sports content. Like the best example that I can I can think of is, um, you know, this is 2005. Every outlet in the country, whether national or regional, is still like physically sending a reporter to the Major League Baseball All-Star game, like like paying for hotel rooms, yes. flights. And the Major League Baseball All-Star game was a huge deal in this country in the 60s, the 70s, even the 80s. By 2005, it's not something that um, is like a premium event from an interest standpoint. But then you have these other super high interest events like the NFL draft um, that you guys did an amazing job with here this year. Uh, um, and certain NBA transaction windows. We just saw NBA free agency. All these things that weren't necessarily TV events first. Um, and then certain teams like the Red Sox and the Yankees, great coverage. Uh, the Golden State Warriors at the time, couldn't not, find not a lot, right? So it seemed like uh, if you just explored these different kind of markets for content, you could find pockets where um, you could do stuff that would perform really well. So you have that kind of thesis percolating in your mind yeah, when you're at Notre thesis. Dame. You're an economics uh, uh, student. It's yeah. the final semester of your grad- of your college. You move to Chicago. What happens then? You're probably around 22 years old, like a lot of 22-year-olds. Probably a lot of people who are listening to this are either college grads, in college, soon-to-be college grads. Totally. Um, trying to figure out exactly what their pathway is. Yeah. What comes next when you graduate? Yeah, so I took um, I took a finance job. Uh, I, I did finance internships in college and, you know, I kind of kind of had this like feeling in the back of my mind when I was figuring out what I was going to do that I like I just didn't like it didn't sit right with me to just do the same thing that everybody else was doing. Yeah. I like did these internships and was with all these guys like who grinded out 80 hours a week and it seemed like their relationships with their wives at home maybe sometimes weren't that good and all like the very cliche things that you hear and I'm just like I don't want this to be my life I want to do something that's like so you're starting to have like a quarter life crisis totally it just felt like it just didn't sit well with me that I was kind of getting on that type of path yes. um, but I did it anyway to start making some cash uh, but before I actually started the job um, uh, on like Fourth of July of two thousand five, I kind of had a hey, screw it, I want to do this sports thing. Like for real, I want to do it. Um, I made a PowerPoint presentation the next morning. I sent it to like eight of my friends who I thought kind of uh, had their I don't know if we can swear or not had yeah, their yeah. had their had their shit together at that point. You know, yeah. with twenty two, you have friends who are smart, but maybe you're not like totally put together at that yes. point. So I sent it to guys who I thought might actually like these are do friends work. from college or friends from high school. How do you know these both. guys? Yeah. Like high school friends, college friends. And uh, the first response I got back was um, from my buddy Brian Goldberg, who ended up being one of my co-founders. And uh, he and I made a we'd made a documentary together uh, at the end of high school. We we made like an hour long documentary, so I was kind of like, okay, like what was the documentary about? We did a trip to Europe with like a group of buddies, and we so it was like Spider Man Far From Home. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I know it was, this because I've got uh, kids. Like I'm sitting around. I've seen Spider-Man Far From Home three times in the theaters already. Yeah, it was more like the drama that was created after like long drinking nights and people's so feelings where, where getting did hurt. You, where did you go? Like how many guys did you go to Europe with? Uh, it was like 12, 12 guys. We did we did London, Amsterdam, uh, Munich, 
Berlin, Barcelona, something like How that. How long were you gone? A month. Oh, that's phenomenal. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, so you just had like a handheld camera at the time? Yeah, we just decided going into it that it'd be a project that we'd all do is like, let's take a bunch of footage and see what happens. And Did then you do like testimonials, like real world style where people oh, yeah, yeah, talk yeah, and totally. everything else? Yeah, yeah, we had great drama. Like I, I stole a buddy's uh, ticket to Wimbledon and then he kicked my <laughs> ass afterwards the next morning, which is like all, all on film. So we had like... When's like, the last time you watched the film? Probably like 15 years ago. So what would happen if the film got out today? Uh, would it be scandalous? I prefer like Brian's probably better known than than I am in <laughs> in uh, media circles these days. But yeah, my guess is it wouldn't be like a perfect thing for him. No, no, it's interesting. Like, Maybe uh, somebody should probably leak it. We, I'm not uh, going to do it. We did something similar. We weren't gone for a month, but I'm four years older than you. It's probably around the same time. Law school. Uh, when we finished law school, we went to Europe, and we had like a buddy who was a guy like to take camp, like to take shots of everything. And there's tons of footage, right, of us. I mean, there's probably about twelve guys. Uh, and we went to uh, Spain during spring break. It was during yeah. our last year of law school. It's Spain, kind of like a, Spain's a great time. Yeah, it was like our last hurrah. We stayed in Sevilla. We stayed in Madrid, um, and uh, we had an incredible time. But we all knew that we were about to hit the grind of practicing law full time, and so it's like an abrupt stop to suddenly being having a great life honestly because law school if you get into a decent law school your grades don't really matter that much yeah because you know, they don't want to flunk you out because then you can't get a job so you're gonna graduate and uh and probably you'll be able to get a pretty good job and so but we all knew that like we were gonna go from our life is awesome to like hitting a brick wall full speed right yeah. now the positive is you get more money the negative is you have no fun because you're just uh you know you're stuck in an office grinding away 80 hours a week all of a sudden. So anyway, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that. So you did that, and uh, and he was on the video and everything else, and he was one of your co-founders. And he says immediately when you send out this plan for what would become Bleacher Report, I love it. Yeah, Brian Brian was just in right away. And uh, one of the other things I liked about working with him is so he, he has a cousin, this guy named Jake Lodwick, who was one of the co-founders of College Humor. Okay. So yeah, this yeah. is like, like when I was in college, College Humor oh, was I like – for people out a, there who don't thing. know, yeah. college humor was massive, and and really what they did was they would link all sorts of craziness that would go on college campuses, basically. Right? Yeah, totally. And they were like Wake Forest grads, right? Who initially started that, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I forget where Ricky and uh, the does that site were still exist? Does that site still exist? Yeah, it still exists. IAC owns it. Barry Diller, and they did pretty. I mean, they did very well with it for years, right? Yeah, they did. They they sold it. They all made money. Yeah. Um, but so basically, like in Brian's family, there was this actual case study of like, like holy shit, you have this a cousin who started a media company. Yes. It's like this is because everybody we talk to, like our parents, invest. Um, maybe his parents were a little bit better, like investors in Silicon Valley. Everybody at the time, like you tried to make pitches. We tried. To, we initially did pitches, and and the the gist we got back was like. Guys, content businesses, um, media companies like this don't work. No, even nobody's even funding. back in like this would have been two thousand five. This was before media companies got hot. There ended up before being a they window. got hot and before they died. Right? I mean, that's right. right now there people was, are saying there's no opportunity in media. That's exactly right. There was there ended up being because of not to jump ahead, but because of the success of Huffington Post, yes. because of the success of Bleacher Report, um, because Facebook started pushing media company content for like a three- or four-year period. BuzzFeed, for all the people out there who totally. are listening, like there there was an entire incubated period. They were not hot, then they got hot, now they're not hot again. Yeah, so we, we were on the front end of that where we had to beat on like the number of pitches I did and just like slogged. It was such a good experience learning how to sell ourselves and, and stuff like that. But uh, um, yeah, initially, like all the help we could get and having at least a connection point to somebody who'd done it before, for me, felt like, okay, 
you know, great. So Let's you're still it. working full time while you're trying to pitch this new venture that you have, or I was working. I was working full time while we were just trying to get a website off the ground. So yeah. we did. So I ended up having uh, this finance job for 20 months in Chicago. We got Bleach Report off the ground by I think like March of 2006 was when we first launched a website. And I literally and and Brian too and Dave, the other guy who uh, um, co-founder who who came on. Um, I mean, I was emailing bloggers. Like at the time, the blogosphere was a big deal. You had all of these yeah. um, these people who were writing for free anyway. Um, you asked about the early beginnings of Bleacher Report. Um, I just like I tried as much as possible to sell people on the notion of like, look, we're going to build a meritocracy for sports writing. We're going to help you reach way more fans than you could ever reach on your own, which ended up being true times a hundred. Yeah, um, we got people in front of millions of of, uh, of readers. And uh, and it was like, look, the best stuff will rise to the top, and and the other stuff will sink to the bottom. Um, one of the things that didn't end up being the case is like because of because of Google News and because of these different distribution sources that would emerge. Um, sometimes, if we had stories or content that wasn't very good, um, somebody would pick it out and say, like, look at this shit story on yeah. Bleach Report, and we got our brand um, took body really blows. took took a lot of body blows for. I mean, I. I feel like I've spent the last five years kind of working to overcome a lot of the early hits that we took, but I kind of have no regrets because I think I think it was kind of impossible to build our business in that era of media any other way. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Hey, it's Jonas Knox, and you know O'Reilly Auto Parts, you know, o o o O'Reilly, who are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free, in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you find the right battery for your vehicle. Need your windshield wipers replaced a brake light fix or a quick service they'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice you'll find the employees at o'reilly auto parts are knowledgeable helpful and best of all friendly and by the way i was just at o'reilly not that long ago within the last month and guess what needed some help with the alternator had some questions with the batteries they helped me right away and did it right there in the parking lot the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto, do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit them at O'ReillyAuto.com slash 2pros. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash 2pros. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. All right, game off. we got to pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. I know what you're saying. Flag on the play. You already talked about that, but there's just so much good stuff in this game. In Monopoly Go, you can team up with friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. The more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock, and there's so much to get. Unique stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, hilarious emojis for taunting friends when 
when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges. A ton include their new unique mini games like Digging for Treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go, so get off the bench and go download it now free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! What's the secret to catching prize-worthy fish in exotic waters? Learning to fish like a local with Fishing Booker. Hey, Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. There's only one way to turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day, and that's with the valuable knowledge of a local guide. With FishingBooker.com, you have the world's largest booking platform of local fishing guides right at your fingertips. Use Fishing Booker's easy-to-use online booking system and discover thousands of local fishing charters from around the world ready to share their tricks of the trade. Create your perfect fishing experience and search for charters by location, species, salt versus freshwater, and more. Plus, it's smooth sailing with Fishing Booker's simple online payment method. You'll always fish with confidence when you start fishing like a local. Start your angling adventure now with Fishing Booker. Visit FishingBooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. You've put it off long enough. It's time to replace your tires. Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. Touring tires for commuter comfort. Performance tires for sporty handling. All-terrain tires for on- and off-road adventure. Go to TireRack.com to get started. Not sure where to begin? Use the Tire Decision Guide to get a personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from the full line of Goodyear tires. Shipped fast and free to a recommended installation near you or choose the convenience of mobile tire installation they'll bring your new tires to your home or office and install them on site it doesn't get much easier than that go to tirerackcom sports to see their goodyear test results tire ratings and consumer reviews and be sure to check out all the current special offers great tires and a great deal what more could you ask for that's tirerackcom sports tirerack.com the way tire buying should be and we're live here outside the Perez family home just waiting for the... And there they go. Almost on time this morning. Mom is coming out the front door strong with a double arm kid carry. Looks like dad has the bags. Daughter is bringing up the rear. Oh, but the diaper bag wasn't closed. Diapers and toys are everywhere. Ooh, but mom has just nailed the perfect car seat buckle for the toddler. And now the eldest daughter, who looks to be about 9 or 10, has secured herself in the booster seat. Dad zips the bag closed, and they're off. Ah, but looks like mom doesn't realize her coffee cup is still on the roof of the car. And there it goes. Oh, that's a shame. That mug was a fam favorite. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just nail the big stuff. Like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Learn more at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination, our sense of wonder, and our family bonds grow too. Because when we disconnect from this and connect with this, we reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. 
Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Look through your children's eyes to see the true magic of a forest. It's a storybook world for them. You look and see a tree. They see the wrinkled face of a wizard with arms outstretched to the sky. They see treasure and pebbles. They see a windy path that could lead to adventure. And they see you, their fearless guide through this fascinating world. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. So let's go back. How did you pick the name Bleacher Report? Um, Brian came up with the name. We, we did, like I hate coming up with names. We did like a name brainstorm on the like we did literally like hundreds and hundreds of phone calls uh, those first twenty months when we were doing it part time, and one of them like over a few weeks was all right, guys. We got to come up with a name, and it was just like this pretty literal take on you know sports bleachers yes. baseball like report Drudge Report. It was yeah. Like, and uh, I never thought it was the best name or the most original name. We actually, our first big investors tried really hard to get us to change the name. I think they went behind our backs. And, and what almost, did they want you to change it to? Do you they, they just wanted us to hire like a third party firm to come up with another name for yeah. us. And because uh, a lot of like Bleacher Report, a lot of people get confused at the two R's and are like Bleacher Report. Bleach. Yeah. So okay. until it like any brand, if it's around long enough, it becomes a brand. Uh, but yeah, I don't think it was like the greatest name of all time. So you we're talking to Dave uh, Finocchio, um, who is one of the co-founders of the Bleacher Report. You said you launched in March of, I think when we first had a website up, uh, I think it was March of 2006. How did much it, money did you raise, or what was the cost to get your website up? Do you oh my gosh, what you were in for almost it? like initially probably like ten or fifteen yeah. grand, something like that. Super cheap. We, uh, the three of us, Brian, Dave, and I saved up money. Dave was working for Endeavor in LA. Brian was doing consulting for Deloitte and I was doing private equity stuff. And, uh, um, I think we all, we all saved maybe 20 or 30 grand each. And then once we had that, we quit our jobs, moved back to the Bay area, opened up like a 300 square foot windowless air conditioning list office in like a child psych like we're we're in like a weird situation how did you find the place to be located i think i think dave nemitz found it i just remember moving home and he he'd lined up an office it was uh it was the right price you know i think yeah, what, I, you remember what you paid like what i your think it was, was like i think it was like 600 bucks a month yeah which in the and bay area at the time was, was pretty cheap yeah. so you're in the bay area at the time do you where do you move back do you move back in with your parents yeah like, i moved back in with my parents like i was you know i went to college young. i was on yeah. my own in an apartment in chicago living a decent life for which what a years. lot of people would consider to be on the path to success right like totally you've got a great job you're working in private equity yeah you're in chicago which is the capital of the midwest if you're from notre dame you probably had a lot of college friends who were in the area yeah totally. probably a pretty good social life and then you just say this is not for me i'm gonna go start my own internet sports website yeah and all my friends i'm Thought sure were crazy made or- fun of me yeah they all made fun of me behind my back and and stuff some to my face which was was fine too but yeah i ended up moving back in with my parents for i think 15 months yeah something like that into your old bedroom uh they had moved they moved when i was in college so okay. like had a had a different setup um so at least there was uh i didn't have to deal with that shame <laughs> um, but yeah, like grinded through that. I think, you know, and that my girlfriend broke up with me like in that phase too. So I went, like, I went from feeling like I had a pretty good, like, like, yeah, like I'm, you're not the coolest guy in the world, but like I've got a decent in life. Chicago yeah. with your own apartment to living in your parents' home, uh, parents' yeah. home. Uh, were you in the basement as the cliche would be? Uh, close enough. Yeah. yeah. 
in, in your parents' home, six hundred dollars, seven hundred dollars a month uh, place in yeah. uh, in San Francisco, starting your own sports website. Yeah, initially we were we were actually um, down in like the Menlo Park area, literally like two blocks from our high school. Oh, I'm like, and I'm, I, you know, the 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 group that ended up doing this full time were three of my high school buddies. What high was, school did you go to? We went to this school called Menlo. Okay, is that a private school? It's in the a Bay pri- area? Yeah, it's a private school. And you've known the guys that you started Bleacher Report with for how long? Uh. Um, I grew up with Dave, so I've, not, I've probably known him since I was six years old or yeah. something. I've known Brian and Xander, the other guy who joined early, uh, since we were 12, maybe. Okay, so and all of you huge sports fans growing up. Uh, yeah, I would say uh, Xander, Dave, and I were huge sports fans. Brian yeah. was a sports fan. Yeah. But maybe not on the same level as the other three of us. Uh, okay, so uh, you guys are doing what on a day-to-day basis? Like you, on yeah. a, you are like you show up. You've got this office. You got this website. Do you remember the first article or articles that you put up? Yeah, um, in the first year, I think I wrote fifty articles. So in the beginning, a lot of it was um, was us and other friends I brought on to help full time. Um, some people that I, I recruited, a couple hundred writers, but. I think the, I think the first article I wrote was about how the NBA undervalues defensive players. Yes. I think that's the first article that was ever written for Bleacher Report. And what kind of traffic would that? Do you remember what kind of audience that article would have gotten? So yes, yeah, what we initially did. So um, on the one side, so Brian was kind of managing. We we we'd gotten a website up, but it was super basic. And yes. It didn't the back end of the website. Like today, you can buy off the shelf CMS software where you can kind of manage a website. It's not that hard to do. Back then, you couldn't really do that. Um, the CMSs were extremely limited, so we had to build all of our own tech stack. So he, for the most part, was managing that, where it was like, okay, we're going to raise money and we're going to launch something that's bigger and better where we could can scale. Um, at that point, I was focused on raising the money and I was focused on um, building an editorial process and an audience. So I figured out stuff like what you asked, which was like, okay, um, what topics – are going to produce the most traffic, why, when, um, everything about essentially marketing content. So initially I figured out like, geez, um, every time we write a story about the NFL draft, it does a hell of a lot better than when we write a baseball story. Yeah. And then you you start there and then it turns out you can get like incredibly sophisticated about that down to um, – Really, at the time when Google had more info available than they have today, you could look up any keyword on earth. Like NFL draft order was one I always talk about where we figured out that on the last day of the NFL regular season, there were a couple million people that would search for the term NFL draft order. Your season's over and you're already thinking, like, yeah. where are we going to be able to draft? Totally. So you're like a, a Raiders fan back in that era and you have the first pick and it's like, you know, should we take Jamarcus or who, who's going to – Yes. Like, who, hope springs eternal, right? That notion – so maybe ESPN starts their NFL draft coverage in earnest in like February, March, leading up to the TV event. We figured out that, hey, on that last day of the season, we need to have the draft package for every single team because fans want this content now. And that's an example of the type of inefficiency I referenced earlier. So you and I love this. You basically looked at it as a sports fan, but also as an economics major from Notre Dame yep. at the Internet and said, hey, we can see that there are tons of people who are out there looking for something simple like what is the draft order, and the, that audience is not being serviced. Exactly. And so early on, and, and I know about this because I've been writing on the Internet for a long time, and unlike a lot of other writers, I got into the, the data behind what people clicked on at a much earlier age totally. than a lot of other writers did, yeah. I think. You know, because maybe because I was 25 years old and I was more not that no, I I'm remember, tech savvy. Not to um, when uh, when you were at Fan House, yeah. so I happened to hire a guy who worked in analytics at Fan House, and I won't I won't out him, but yeah. I remember him saying 
because um, there were some some well known writers that were at Fan House, and I'm sure when they you spent a there, lot of money on yeah, on newspaper columnists that, with the idea right. being that their audience would follow them online. They but, spent but, hundreds of thousands. But of But you were the highest performing writer there by a good margin. I yeah. remember him either telling me or showing me yeah. something, and that was. It kind of made sense once we went back and looked at your repository of content. It was yeah. like, all right, this guy knows what he's doing right. relative to these others who are writing about topics that are not necessarily connective to what their audience is interested in now. Yes. No, I mean, that's 100% right. I mean, uh, I think to the extent that, that I had a, an early advantage in writing, it was that I knew what people wanted to read. Yeah. Right? And I think a lot of writers write what they want to write. They write for their own peer group. For, which yeah. which is a tiny little subset of the overall audience. And yeah. so you end up writing articles that aren't very well read. And so I was always like, okay, you know, and, and I think it works for radio sensibilities too because I've got to talk every day about the three or four most popular things that are going on in the world of sports or otherwise. Sure. Right. And for better or worse, I'm pretty good at figuring out what people are going to care about. And I'm also naturally there, right? Like I, I always say I have like very middle of the road taste and interest. And so I think I hit a large swath just by nature. Um, but I am fascinated by you going in. So you write these articles and you start to look at the data. Initially, it's a pre-social media era, right? So there's no Facebook. There's no Twitter. When you guys launched, Google is the primary driver of your audience or how are people finding you? Yeah. So let's say two... 2007, where we're really focused on this through, honestly, like through 2012, 2013, everything's kind of driven off of Google. Facebook didn't really start pushing publisher content until 2013. Yeah. So there's this big wave. And what we did really well is we, so, so you have, um, you have a team of writers who are creating content and it goes on Google, Google News, and you have readers come back to articles on a website, right? Um, most uh, websites, basically those readers might be on the article for 30 seconds, a minute. If it's a really good article, five minutes. One of the reasons we did so many slideshows is people stay on slideshows they keep way clicking. longer than they stay on your average article. So I'm sorry to everyone who that bothered, but just from the from a pure business standpoint, we were always accused of like, oh, they're doing it for the page views. And you do a little bit, but the numbers just didn't lie. So anyway, People we, say they hate sli- uh, pay, uh, slideshows, but yeah. the results actually showed you that they will at least sit there and continue. Engagement to on through. slideshows is way, way higher than it is on standard articles, unless the article is is exceptional. It, it reminds me, it's fascinating, because when I was at Fan House, you were mentioning um, people would all say, this was in the early age of when people would send emails and stuff, they're like, why are you covering Brett Favre? Like, and will he or won't he retire? And the minute that a Brett Favre update went in, there's like a fire hose, right, yeah. of traffic. Everybody says, oh, I don't care about Brett Favre or Tim Tebow or yeah. LeBron James or whatever it is. But I always say it's like the internet data is like you can pull back their brain yeah. and see what they actually care about as opposed to what they say they care about. Yeah. And that's a great example. There's You can listen to a vocal minority if you want and uh, and try to please those people. And, and as we've gotten bigger, we've had to do more of that, I think, for brand reasons. But if you're just trying to focus on surviving and building a business that's going to be around – then I think you need to look at data and do and and balance more what the data is. Yeah. 
Hey, it's Jonas Knox. And you know O'Reilly Auto Parts. You know, o o o o who are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you find the right battery for your vehicle. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fix, or a quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice, you'll find the employees at O'Reilly Auto Parts are knowledgeable, helpful, and best of all, friendly. And by the way, I was just at O'Reilly not that long ago, within the last month, and guess what? Needed some help with the alternator, had some questions with the batteries, they helped me right away, and did it right there in the parking lot. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto, do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit them at O'ReillyAuto.com slash 2pros. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash 2pros. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. All right, game off. we got to pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. I know what you're saying. Flag on the play. You already talked about that, but there's just so much good stuff in this game. In Monopoly Go, you can team up with friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. The more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. Unique stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes. Cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with. Hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges. A ton include their new unique mini-games like Digging for Treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go, so get off the bench and go download it now free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! What's the secret to catching prize-worthy fish in exotic waters? Learning to fish like a local with Fishing Booker. Hey, Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. There's only one way to turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day, and that's with the valuable knowledge of a local guide. With FishingBooker.com, you have the world's largest booking platform of local fishing guides right at your fingertips. Use Fishing Booker's easy-to-use online booking system and discover thousands of local fishing charters from around the world ready to share their tricks of the trade. Create your perfect fishing experience and search for charters by location, species, salt versus freshwater, and more. Plus, it's smooth sailing with Fishing Booker's simple online payment method. You'll always fish with confidence when you start fishing like a local. Start your angling adventure now with Fishing Booker. Visit FishingBooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. You've put it off long enough. It's time to replace your tires. Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. Touring tires for commuter comfort. Performance tires for sporty handling. All-terrain tires for on- and off-road adventure. Go to TireRack.com to get started. Not sure where to begin? Use the Tire Decision Guide to get a personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from the full line of Toyo tires. Shipped fast and free to a recommended install 
installer near you or choose the convenience of mobile tire installation. They'll bring your new tires to your home or office and install them on site. It doesn't get much easier than that. Go to TireRack.com sports to see their Toyo test results, tire ratings, and consumer reviews. And be sure to check out all the current special offers. Great tires and a great deal. What more could you ask for? That's TireRack.com sports. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Not like suggesting you should do is slapping you in the face and saying, hey, like if you want to make it to the next level and for this company to be around in three or four years, um, do more of this. Um, so, But on Google, the thing we did, I think, really well is opposed to just letting those people bounce in and out. We said, OK, this is actually an opportunity to convert these people who are essentially passerby readers into loyal users. And the first thing we did where I started to feel like Bleacher Report might actually work is we launched newsletters. Yeah. For every basically every single big team in the U.S., um, the college football newsletters, SEC newsletters were the the craziest. Where we we had um, Bama, LSU, Auburn newsletter lists that had twenty thousand people on them. That in season we're getting open rates of close to seventy percent, which is I just mean, a was, sign it, of it, the affinity that people have for their teams. So, I mean the the voracious appetite yes. of fans around those particular teams in, in the United States. There's nothing else like it, right? They're at the very top of yeah. the food chain. Um, but all of a sudden, we had people, because of these newsletters, which we'd send out three or four times a week, um, we'd send out our own content, but we would also round up the best content. Like, we would curate the best content from around the web so they wouldn't have to find it themselves. Again, this is before Facebook. It's yes. before people are really using Twitter. So it was a nice service we were offering them. And all of a sudden, like, we had this loyal audience of a million people, two million people, three million people, in addition to the, you know, 10 million people that were kind of coming and bouncing out every month. And that was real. All of a sudden, people had a positive affinity for our brand, or at least those people did. And then when um, mobile apps happened in a more sophisticated way, like the um, the App Store with Apple, we basically turned those newsletters into a real-time app product, and our app just exploded. Um, and that was that was when I think Bleacher Report like, was a, a thing. Where Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Look through your children's eyes to see the true magic of a forest. It's a storybook world for them. You look and see a tree. They see the wrinkled face of a wizard with arms outstretched to the sky. They see treasure and pebbles. They see a windy path that could lead to adventure. And they see you, their fearless guide through this fascinating world. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. If I could be you. And you could be me. For just one hour. If you could find a way. To get inside. Each other's mind. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. We've all felt left out. And for some, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Walk a mile in my shoes. 
Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. Talking to Dave Finocchio, one of the co-founders of Bleach Report. All right, I want to go back. So you write the first article. Yeah. Uh, and you write, you said, like 50 articles to begin with. Yeah. When did you start thinking, hey, maybe this business might actually work? Was there, like, everybody who ever starts anything new, there is the hope, and then there's early signs that can be success or failure. You have to push through it. Uh, when did, well, first of all, how many hours are you working with the other guys when you guys first start this business? Like a shitload. Yeah. Um, like you guys would come into the office and, I mean, basically working full time. Like, what are you doing? I would say it was just my life. Yeah. Uh, they had, there were days where I literally would start working, not every day, but um, weeks where I would just start working at 7 a.m. and stop working at midnight just because I, I don't mean to be over dramatic about it, but it's true, uh, because I, like, knew that I needed to get sleep. Yeah. I um, mean, it was just like, because I was, we had no professional editorial team. I was just literally emailing assignments to, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of writers at times dealing with correspondence back and forth. And you found those writers just by going on the Internet and just kind of jumping around. And initially, yeah, I recruited uh, I recruited people off of blogs, college newspaper writers. Um, I did something that uh, uh, was was probably not great for the quality of content, um, sports content on uh, on the Internet, but um, helped us grow. So judge judge away. But when Facebook ads came out, which was, I want to say, like late 2007, initially they did they performed really, really poorly relative to Google. Um, and as a result, they were super cheap. Yeah. Um, advertisers were just like they, they were like banner ads on the side of Facebook, not in newsfeed. The yeah, way they are today. Um, but because they were cheap and because you could target, uh, I had teams to fill out in terms of like I don't have people covering um you know, the national predators, if they were around, like whoever it was. So I could target for the first time English majors, journalism majors who um, had an affinity for the national predators. And I could start building writer leads and I could then send, you know, if somebody then clicked through and signed up and said, yeah, sure, I'll cover this team for you. Uh, I could then send them an assignment right away and say, OK, I'll give you a go. Um, I'm interested in this story. Yeah. Uh, why don't you get this to me by 8 p.m. on and Wednesday? How did you decide what that story would be? Like uh, so through, National yeah. Predators, for example. You're trying to find somebody to write about them. You're running a Facebook ad. Is it a Google search that would give you an idea what people might be searching for? Or I'd how- say a combination of data and just like I've been a sports junkie my whole life. So it's it's part art, part science. Yeah. There, there might have been a um, – I don't know the Predators that well, but so uh, um, I won't have a – a good like real example but there might have been some sort of recent free agent move recent trade or whatever that you would have been cognizant of totally yeah uh any anything along those lines that like fit the the mold of a type of story i knew that people would be interested in and then i would see if the writer was one reliable accountable uh and then you know if they were any good and i think we we basically had all this data right and we were able to um tap into this huge supply of writers who ended up signing up and our story and the quality of the content was really mixed, right? Everything from pretty good to um, to shitty. But the way our business worked over time is once we were able to raise more money and once our audience started to get big enough where we could sell advertising, I was able to just over time replace the writers who 
were not up to a certain quality with professional people. And it took me about three years to complete that transition, and it was hard. Uh, and it took the brand years longer to recover from it, but it worked. Yeah. Um, so when do you guys – so you're working, you know, sometimes basically all day except for sleeping hours. Yeah, when do you, in the extreme, sure. Yeah, when do you start thinking, hey, maybe we've got a business here? When do you yeah. guys start taking salary? Like, Because, you know, you said you started it with, you know, basically you saved up twenty or $30,000 each. When does it when does it become possible that you can start to make money off of the website? So in in late 2007 we raised a million and a half dollars and that was like one of the best feelings I ever had when we got that raise. It was yeah. like, "Ha, like my friends can't make fun of me anymore. This is real." Like we So can you raise a, a million office. and a half. That's like a year and change into the existence of the company? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yes. what I, and I there's probably people out there listening. I I'm, I actually don't know that much in specific about venture capital. Yeah. So when you sell, I mean a lot of people watch Shark Tank and everything else, you raise a million and a half dollars. Yeah. What kind of ex- Hey, it's Jonas Knox. And you know O'Reilly Auto Parts? You know, o o o O'Reilly, who are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free, in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you find the right battery for your vehicle. Need your windshield wipers replaced a brake light fix or a quick service they'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice you'll find the employees at o'reilly auto parts are knowledgeable helpful and best of all friendly and by the way i was just at o'reilly not that long ago within the last month and guess what needed some help with the alternator had some questions with the batteries they helped me right away and did it right there in the parking lot the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto, do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit them at O'ReillyAuto.com slash 2pros. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash 2pros. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. All right, game off. we got to pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. I know what you're saying. Flag on the play. You already talked about that, but there's just so much good stuff in this game. In Monopoly Go, you can team up with friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. The more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. Unique stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes. Cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with. Hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges. A ton include their new unique mini games like Digging for Treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go, so get off the bench and go download it now free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! What's the secret to catching prize-worthy fish in exotic waters? Learning to fish like a local with Fishing Booker. Hey, Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. There's only one way to turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day, and that's with the valuable knowledge of a local guide. With FishingBooker.com, you have the world's largest booking platform of local fishing guides right at your fingertips. Use Fishing Booker's easy-to-use online booking system and discover thousands of local fishing charters from around the world ready to share their tricks 
tricks of the trade. Create your perfect fishing experience and search for charters by location, species, salt versus freshwater, and more. Plus, it's smooth sailing with Fishing Booker's simple online payment method. You'll always fish with confidence when you start fishing like a local. Start your angling adventure now with Fishing Booker. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. You've put it off long enough. It's time to replace your tires. Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. Touring tires for commuter comfort. Performance tires for sporty handling. All-terrain tires for on- and off-road adventure. Go to TireRack.com to get started. Not sure where to begin? Use the Tire Decision Guide to get a personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from the full line of Michelin tires. Shipped fast and free to a recommended install near you or choose the convenience of mobile tire installation they'll bring your new tires to your home or office and install them on site it doesn't get much easier than that go to tirerackcom sports to see their michelin test results tire ratings and consumer reviews and be sure to check out all the current special offers great tires and a great deal what more could you ask for that's tirerackcom sports tirerack.com the way tire buying should be equity are you selling at that point yeah we sold about 30 percent of our companies we sold we were nobodies you know it's yeah. not like we were like uh bill simmons or somebody yeah, yeah, yeah. like um yes yeah, so we sold 30 percent of our company for a million and a half bucks it was a big big chunk up front but nobody else would do it like we literally yeah. found one investor who and who, how did you check. find that investor um through net like it was a guy that my co-founder brian um brian's dad i think went to business school with there were these two guys who co-founded a company called Ariba that had a $40 billion market cap before like the dot bomb crash. Yeah. And they happened to, I, th- I think they like they had a falling out with the CEO or something and they left the company and they sold at the right time and they just made an unbelievable amount of money. And they, they had tons of money that they just tons used of money. as seed capital in the Bay Area to kind of get. That's exactly companies. right. Yeah. Yeah. Bay Area and Israel, I think are where they, they primarily make their investments. So we got hooked up with those guys, but to your point, like you asked, you asked when, when I thought it was going to work or when between 2007 and 2010, I mean, there were some serious ups and downs. Like it, there were, we, we hired an initial CEO that those investors kind of forced on us that didn't work out. And we had a hard time kind of figuring out that transition of how things were going to go forward. Um, not having the right CEO on board. And I, like I bought GMAT books. I started, I was taking GMAT practice. Like you thought the company might just, yeah, so I was I was totally on the fence. I I went to bed so many nights, not not thinking, but knowing it wasn't going to work. You know, you know, in your gut, we're yeah. like, I'm doing this, but this is not going to work. Right. Um, our audience got stuck at like two to three million people. We were focused on the wrong things. Um, and I so I was there, like totally in the dumps. And uh, the best thing that ever happened to us was when. When we went through, like, honestly, a pretty ugly transition kind of away from the person who was the CEO, the three of us who were the the three original founders really pulled together and we kind of divided up our responsibilities in a more clear way than we ever had before. And in like a six month span, we took our audience from three million monthly readers to 10 million. Um, and that was honestly like one of my favorite memories of all the things we've done was that six month period. And that would have been what years? That was like end of 2009 through the first six months of 2010. So like three or four years into the company's yeah. life cycle. Yeah. And once we, I'd say once we got to the, um, the end of that and we started hiring 
we, that gave us the ability to start hiring more professional people who'd been there, done that before. Like it got us over the hump with investors, with everyone where they're like, all right, these guys are real and there's something here that's working. So you start off with three employees, four eventually. Yeah. Um, when do you start hiring more people? After we raised the first round, initially, the 1. We, 5 yeah, that initially we just hired software engineers. Yeah. So I think we hired four. Um, I hired one content person from that round. Uh, first content person started in like February of 2008. The second full-time content person was October 2008. We didn't really start building out an, a real editorial staff until like late – like. That time period I just referenced where we really started to grow was when we started to actually hire content people. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination, our sense of wonder, and our family bonds grow too. Because when we disconnect from this and connect with this, we reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. We're talking to Dave Finocchio. I'm Clay Travis. This is the Wins and Losses podcast. I started Outkick in 2011. And my idea was, it's now 2019. You may be listening to this years before, uh, after this or whenever, but we're recording in the summer of 2019. I had a section of the site called The Bullpen. Right, yeah. about kick and my idea was this is going to be user generated content and my philosophy was at the time i'm 40 now but my thought was when i started that website i'm roughly 32 ish yeah that there were a lot of people who were younger versions of me right because when i came up i had to start my own writing online it was hard to find an audience but i was a grinder and i would write and i would work hard what i found is that talent is rare and that talent that works is even rarer um, and grit matters a great deal and everything. I think you probably found it too. And I just eventually had to stop the bullpen because, and I'm curious what you found, I had this idea that there will be a meritocracy that bubbles up of people that want to work hard and want to make their name and just want to get read because I did it for years without really making any money yeah. while I was practicing law and everything else with the idea being if I'm good, I can build an audience and the money will one day follow. And what I found is people might write one good article and they're like, hey, I expect to get paid now. I'm like, dude, you know, I wrote for years without making a dollar to prove that I was good enough to be able to do this. I bet what you found, because what I kind of admired about the Bleacher Report was what you said, the idea that we were going to create a meritocracy by people who would write and continue to write and do good quality content. Those people are rare. I would say that I view um, that like that part of the initial thesis, I think, was I wouldn't call it a, a like failure is too strong. Um, but I was more idealistic, kind of like you, yeah, you were. I, I mean, thought that the, I thought that the content would end up being better than it was, and I di- I had no. People will never understand the amount of work that we did under the hood to get that user generated content or whatever you want to call it to the point where it actually like we edited all of that content. We did crazy photo deals with Getty. We um, we we had all of these. Uh, uh, it's it's boring stuff, but like the no, amount of, the, the, amount of in, the amount of infrastructure that we had to create to get that content out was honestly more work than once we started paying people full time. So I, I had the the same observation. There were there were people that we found um, through 
those days who who did grind away and built a name for themselves that are still with us that did really well like the Matt Millers, the Gary Davenports of the world. There, there are others. Um, there are plenty of people who came through Bleacher Report that have gone on and had great careers other places too. But yeah, the hit rate was much smaller than I initially thought it would be. And not only was the hit rate smaller, I what I found was I'm spending a lot of time reading other people's work instead of working on my own. Yeah, right? well, for you, becomes, yeah, At least, was, and that's why I decided like I'm I'm a uh, far less talented than you are from the standpoint of um, you know. Sports analysis, but I figured out this: that you have to choose one path or the other. You can't do both. It's yeah, and so that was the challenge. But then what we found was we were getting uh, a lot more attention, like you did, for sometimes things that would go up that was written by you know, quote unquote, it's called the bullpen, right? Yeah. The idea is you're not a starting pitcher, like you're coming in and trying to prove yourself. I guess I could have just as easily called it the minor leagues, right? But that seemed a little bit more pejorative. Um, but the idea was find a lot of young writers who can do great original content and will continue to work, and then they can elevate themselves. Either I'll start paying them, and they'll become part of the OutKick you know, regular universe, or uh, I will find them you know, and, and they'll go get jobs elsewhere because other people are able to pay them more. Yeah, And almost no one was willing to do it. Mm. And and if people who were willing to do it at a high quality level were almost non-existent, you named a few, but I bet you know if you were giving a percentage, I mean it's a tiny, tiny percentage. I would say a lot. There, there were definitely hundreds of winners that came through that system. A lot of them ended up being editors or having other jobs yeah. in our organization that weren't writers. Uh, one thing I did that uh, that was. Um, really helpful early on was I kind of game of a lot of people wouldn't like this in our industry, but I, I kind of gamified the writing process where I was like, like I played a ton of halo in college and I noticed that like, even when I was so sick and tired of playing halo and like, I really like shouldn't be playing anymore. I would keep going because um, every time I played a game, I would get a certain number of points, which would get me like closer to having which a better status. What, in like the game. Uber and Lyft do now. Yeah, like, exactly. For drivers. Exactly. Like, they will gamify the job to encourage people to continue to put in. It's exactly right. And so, um, I built that system for for writing for Bleacher Report. So the more reads you got on any individual article led to more points, led to you getting uh, badges. Like if you had an article that got twenty five thousand reads, that would you know be a really big badge, and that would help you get a basically a, a better status on the yes. site. And so we had a lot of people that got really into that and pushed and pushed and pushed. And um, for sure, there are a lot of people who, at the end of the day, we. You know, we didn't offer jobs to, didn't offer paid gigs to, that were really upset, that put a ton of time into that. And I, it's something that um, I'm kind of of two minds about. One is I feel bad uh, they put in a lot of work and for the expectation of getting something. And uh, on the other hand, I think they kind of knew what they were getting into. There were never any promises made. It was yeah. a website where you're writing for free for a chance to build an audience. Um, but there were hundreds of people that got um, either full time or um, or different types of paying jobs through it uh so yeah it was a mixture of experiences for people so uh you get the 1.5 million dollars raised yeah uh, which is kind of a big shot in the arm but then you get a ceo that doesn't work out you yeah said you have that six month period where you go from 3 million to 10 million readers yeah. what then happens after 2010 when yeah, you so start it, thinking like okay 
this may be a legitimate business. Do you go raise more money? Like, how does that process yeah. play out? So we we had raised one other round um, in 2008. We had this initial burst of growth, raised another six million bucks. So we were we were growing. And more. how much do you sell? So you sell 30 percent, six million. You go. What are you selling that for then? Like a, honestly, about another thirty percent. Yeah. So we sold thirty percent twice. So sixty percent of the company is gone for seven point five million, roughly at that point. Uh. Then that's not exactly not that's not exactly the math, but close. a little bit less than yeah. that. Like let's say about fifty percent of the company yeah. gone at that point. Um, we we ended up hiring another CEO in the summer of two thousand ten. Um, guy named Brian Gray, who had previously run he had run Yahoo Sports, and then more recently had been running um, the digital arm of Fox Sports. Yeah, and Brian uh, had left Fox was uh, was an executive in residence at a VC firm in San Francisco. We just gotten to know him over the years and really liked him. And he, like sports for better or worse, and I, I don't mean this in a demeaning way, um, but it's a little bit of an old boys network. Yeah. I think it's not as bad as it probably used to be. Um, but Brian was just a really talented deal maker who knew everybody uh, and, and great CEO, but knew everybody and just helped bring credibility. Like I, I remember like Brian's maybe first or second week, he and I and maybe Dave did a road show all over these like – New York, D.C., where maybe Chicago, wherever else we went, and he immediately introduced us to the most senior people at all of these organizations who maybe weren't taking meetings with yes. us before. And so we, from from that period until when we ended up selling the company, we were kind of like all about uh, creating legitimacy from a brand standpoint, um, scaling advertising sales, uh, growing our audience. Um, yeah. When did you start producing revenue? Like that, that was meaningful. Uh, 2011 was the first year we did five million dollars. 2012, I'm sorry, 2010, five million. 2011, 14. 2012, the year we sold, we did 37. So how? Okay, that, that's fascinating to me. So yeah. that is an incredible growth rate, five to 14 to 37. What magic sauce were you? Nothing in? compared to where we are now, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but at the time, I mean, that's a five to 37 in two years. It's yeah. pretty extraordinary. What yeah, magic we were sauce? Good at it. Yeah, yeah, what magic sauce did you hit that suddenly made your revenue explode? Like what? You're five years in in 2011. You're doing five million, and then boom! Suddenly you start hitting in a big time. Yeah, the first thing to understand is uh, for for people who are listening to this who who uh, um, you know don't know that much about the business of online sports media, uh, which is a lot because probably, there aren't probably that, most, this is yeah, probably the most uh, detailed online sports media discussion that almost has been out there. Yeah, so. It's kind of a zero sum game in terms of uh, how the size of your audience translates to um, to advertising dollars, and that's if you have something that really matters in a niche, like it's really important in a certain area of the country, or it's you know golf focused and really focused on the golf industry, you can overcome this. But if you're a if you're a general sports site, and this was probably more true back then than it is now because marketing is just a little bit more sophisticated now, you kind of had to be top five. You had to have one of the five largest audiences. So one of the reasons why we went so gung-ho on we're going to really focus on audience growth and creating articles about all these topics that people are searching for is we felt like we got feedback from venture capitalists that if you didn't get into that top five subset, guys, your business is worthless. Yeah. So like, all right, we'll deal with quality later, but right now we need to get get this audience. We got to get big now. That was our strategy. Get big now. Um, And so like we we just jammed and got – we. We built up a skill set doing that that I think was imitated by basically everyone else in in media. Um, I think the playbook we created is, um, I think, pretty. Would it still work today? 
Like it's or, still it still works today. Um, yeah. It's not as I think it's not as compelling. It's today a more than efficient it, market now there, than it was then. That's right. There are so many people that have come in and done the same thing that if I were, to, I'm never going to go do this again. But if I were to go do it again, I think like Brian, Brian Goldberg went yeah. and did the exact same thing in the women's space, and he people gave him a lot of crap for it when he did it, but he was just better at it, so he just outmuscled everyone. Which did it, is so, did it surprise you sometimes that you guys were capable as just four kids who went to a, a college, high school together in the Bay Area starting a company could be able to make um, waves in the internet space in sports like you did? Like, did you ever go on to like the bigger sites and be like, I can't believe these guys, you know, because ES, let's use ESPN as an example. Like, they are still the Goliath of the space, right? Totally. ESPN.com. Yeah. And when you guys are starting out, they have so many competitive advantages, audience advantages over you. Yet you are using the data in a more sophisticated manner than they are, or do you think they were maybe crippled by their size initially? What gave your business the chance to work? Um, so we formed a we formed a partnership with CBSSports.com in maybe 2009, where yeah. they would link to some of our content, and you're basically sharing traffic back and forth. Kind yeah, of. yeah, that's that type of arrangement. And I was in Fort Lauderdale, um, where they're based, and and Hat was in a a meeting with their managing editor, and um, and I asked him how he picked the stories that, that are on the front on the, page. Yeah, that they feature. Yeah, that's right. And and he said, you know, we assign the stories based on the writer pitching me something or or me giving an assignment. I read all the stories that come in and I put the best one on the front page. And I was with my editor in chief in the room, and I like we talk about this all the time. It was this epiphany moment for us. We're like, shit, this like what we're doing might work. Because they are doing entirely intuition-based decision-making. Exactly. And you guys are looking at what people are actually reading. This is like – this guy was a great a great guy um, and I think was was really good at his job. But he was he – was a making, newspaper way of thinking. That's right? right. It was just – it was a model that – Hey, it's Jonas Knox. And you know O'Reilly Auto Parts. You know, o o o o who are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free, in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you find the right battery for your vehicle. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fix, or a quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice, you'll find the employees at O'Reilly Auto Parts are knowledgeable, helpful, and best of all, friendly. And by the way, I was just at O'Reilly not that long ago, within the last month, and guess what? Needed some help with the alternator, had some questions with the batteries, they helped me right away, and did it right there in the parking lot. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto, do it yourself, and you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit them at O'ReillyAuto.com slash 2pros. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash 2pros. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. All right, game off. We got to pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. I know what you're saying. Flag on the play. You already talked about that, but there's just so much good stuff in this game. In Monopoly Go, you can team up with friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. The more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. Unique stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes. Cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with. Hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you 
you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges. A ton include their new unique mini-games like Digging for Treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go, so get off the bench and go download it now free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! What's the secret to catching prize-worthy fish in exotic waters? Learning to fish like a local with Fishing Booker. Hey, Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. There's only one way to turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day, and that's with the valuable knowledge of a local guide. With FishingBooker.com, you have the world's largest booking platform of local fishing guides right at your fingertips. Use Fishing Booker's easy-to-use online booking system and discover thousands of local fishing charters from around the world ready to share their tricks of the trade create your perfect fishing experience and search for charters by location species salt versus freshwater and more plus it's smooth sailing with fishing bookers simple online payment method you'll always fish with confidence when you start fishing like a local start your angling adventure now with fishing booker visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today fishing booker fishing trips made easy Hey, it's Jonas Knox. You've put it off long enough. It's time to replace your tires. Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. Touring tires for commuter comfort. Performance tires for sporty handling. All-terrain tires for on- and off-road adventure. Go to TireRack.com to get started. Not sure where to begin? Use the Tire Decision Guide to get a personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from the full line of Yokohama tires. Shipped fast and free to a recommended install near you or choose the convenience of mobile tire installation they'll bring your new tires to your home or office and install them on site it doesn't get much easier than that go to tirerack.com sports to see their yokohama test results tire ratings and consumer reviews and be sure to check out all the current special offers great tires and a great deal what more could you ask for that's tirerack.com sports tirerack.com the way tire buying should be wasn't built for the internet. It was a model that was built for newspapers, and we were a model that was built for the internet. And it was so. To answer your question, we were just playing a different game than yeah. anybody else was playing. It's like Moneyball for online. Yeah, games. and I think the this is. I don't mean to come for this to come across as extraordinarily arrogant. It it, it might, but um, it, we this is also something that my co-founders and I have talked a lot about over the years. There are a lot of smart people in media, no doubt. Um, but there are a lot of people that also get very entrenched in the way that they do things. There are ways that things are supposed to be done in media. And we just didn't have that background where we weren't schooled to do things in a certain way. And I think all of us are smart, but if we'd gone into other industries, we might not have been like the smartest people in our field. But I think in media, um, we had pretty good brain power relatively. And I'm not sure that like there were that many other people who were thinking the same way that we were. So uh, you go from I think you said five to fourteen to thirty seven million. Yeah. What you get into the top five? Yeah. And you scale that up really quickly. And we are sold you, our we sold our company then too. Yeah. Are do you wish you had not sold? Now looking back, no. Was it um, the right time to sell? I think it's for the the fir- so the next year after we sold, Facebook started throwing um, gobs of traffic. Just, just instant. Like I think my traffic went from yeah I went from reaching twenty five million people a month to 
60 million people like really, really fast. Yeah. Like all these things we did to build audience, which were so hard and detailed and science oriented. Then Facebook comes online and all of a sudden it's like whoosh. Everybody it's, exploded. It's so, and I think we were a little better at it than than most were. But it and was what I would call that was penis pump, right? Yeah, like, it, totally mean, it's, it's totally it totally artificial. was. It's totally artificial. It's totally yeah. not real. But all of a sudden, everybody's page views and audiences just exploded because yeah. Facebook is just such a leviathan. Called it a lot of things. I've never, yeah. never called it penis pump before, but that <laughs> totally works great. Um, uh, it was it was an interesting time where um, the one the one thing that that kicked my butt a little bit was when Business Insider sold to Axel Springer for like 400 million bucks. We sold for 215. We did really well. We were incredibly yeah. lucky. Um, but that was the one thing where I was like, shit, like I think we've built a lot more substance than these guys have. No disrespect to their business, it's a good business. Um, but then I look at what's happened to some of the other the Docker so, sites, for instance. What, what well, that's a little or, bit different what, because of it. But like what we could have, what could have happened is say, um, say we, we didn't sell and we get to 2013, 2014 and VCs see our numbers and they're like, Hey, um, we'll write you a hundred million dollar check uh, at like a five hundred million dollar valuation. The way you know BuzzFeed, yes. Fox, Vice, they all did these things, um, and then it turned out a couple of years later that um, it was really hard to justify those valuations. It was hard for them to scale their revenue fast enough to to justify those valuations. Facebook did not end up being the ecosystem for publishers to build kind of their distribution. And through, now right? they just dialed back. They, they changed they changed their strategy and it hurt all of those businesses. So I'm really like we made money for everybody. I think our brand ended up with like Turner did a really good job supporting Bleacher Report. That partnership was really really good. It wasn't always easy, but it like it's one of the great examples of media acquisition of the last generation. So that's that's cool. Um, but what if we were still out there? Like, I can't imagine, like, it would have been 15 years grinding away at this thing and, like, still haven't made any money. And, you know, maybe our company is valued at a billion dollars, but nobody's willing to buy it for more than 500. Yeah. Like, million. Um, that's not a good situation to be in. So I'm so glad that we didn't end up there. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. So you sell for $215 million. At the time you sold, how much had you raised? 40 Okay. So when you sell at $215 million, I think there are a lot of people out there sitting around and they're like, man, uh, so what happens to founders, right? So you stayed with the company for a while. Yeah. A lot. So uh, the other two guys were founders that were still involved with the business um, left it at that point. Yeah. My, I had, um, I was running, I was probably managing 80% of the staff at, at that yes. point. They just had different, different roles. Brian left to go start another company. Dave took some time off and then started another company. Uh, I, gosh, um, I, I like kind of kept my job at the time I was running like all the kind of content product stuff at the company. And I ended up taking over, Brian Gray left after eight months or nine months or something. So I ended up taking over the business at that point. Yep. Um, initially when we sold, I was honestly so exhausted that I, t- I told those guys like, I'm not staying. You'd have the- a lot left. Like, no, I was just so tired. Um, like when, when the sale was complete, I remember like leaving my girlfriend's apartment and I was just like, I cried tears of joy walking down the hills in San Francisco. I was just so, I put so much into spent. it. Totally. Um, but I, I hung with it. 
they basically said, no, you're not doing a year. If we're going to sell this company, if you're going to buy this company, you have to stay for two and a half years. And I was like, guys, I'm not doing that. They're like, okay, we're not going to buy the company. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to sack up and do this. And, uh, and after getting through that initial like six to nine month window, which was a little bit rough, I kept my head in the game. We continued to perform really well. There were some more fun aspects of it that came from yeah. being a part of Turner, uh, getting promoted on TV. I got a you, know, you get to know people that are just of a different level. Um, I started to learn new things, and uh, and I decided to make the most of it. Um, and yeah, really invested in that partnership. How, how many employees? You may not know the exact number, but roughly, how I many employees do. does Bleacher Report have now? A little over five hundred. A little over five hundred. So you guys started with three. There's now over five hundred. Um, when you before you sold. What was I'm always curious, like what kind of salaries were you guys paying yourself? Were you living like how what kind of lifestyle would you you're grinding, you're working all those hours. What yeah. kind of salaries would you guys have been making by the time you sold? Um, I think by the time we sold, we we're, we we're doing OK because we just we just raised 20 million dollars yeah. on top of it. So I, I bet I bet when we sold, my salary was like probably pretty close to two hundred thousand dollars a year. So at that point, we we're like doing great. But when we but 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 yeah, for let me pause there. 200,000 there's a lot of people listening right now. $200,000 to run a major multimedia company. It's not like you guys were just making money hand over fist as the as the runners operators of this. No, company. I just I and bef- probably a year before that, uh, I bet my salary was $80,000 yeah. a year and for the first couple for the first year we did it, initially we gave ourselves stipends of 400 bucks a month and then after 1 month we realized that we didn't have enough money to do it. So we made we didn't pay ourselves anything for I think Close to a year, yeah, and then I think our salaries were thirty five thousand dollars a year, and then eventually it got up to eighty. But then when we did that, when we raised the twenty million, I think at that point we were kind of like, hey, like we haven't we been making it. much. Yeah, you got like this is San Francisco; it's expensive. Like, um, I'm still going to live in a four hundred square foot studio apartment, but like, come on. So, if you had not founded the company in San Francisco, did that matter to your company's success? You said the first one point five million you made was based on having some connection to Bay Area success in terms of making money. A lot of people out there listening to us right now, they try to decide, where am I going to start my company? Where am I going to live? Bleacher Report, how important was it for you guys that you were in the Bay Area? Or do you think you could have been successful anywhere starting? I think it's it's a different era now. Um, Bleacher Report now is 250 people in New York. New York is our biggest office. San Francisco. Is that because of uh, like advertising to a large extent? Almost our... The biggest part of our content team is in New York. Yeah. And then, yeah, the entire advertising, like the whole sales marketing All infrastructure, that in, yeah. which is a giant team, um, is is uh, on an entire floor in, in New York. Um, media businesses almost always end up gravitating to New York as you get big because, like, you just have to have your sales team there. The way content and sales works today, uh, they're pretty integrated. Um, it's not like the old days where there's separation of church and state. Where, Chinese wall, so to Yeah, speak. that yeah. just doesn't really – it's hard. It sucks. Kind of wish it existed like that, yeah. but it, it doesn't. Um, so there are all sorts of things you do so that those teams can work effectively together and without to compromising. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. And you know, O'Reilly Auto Parts, you know, o o o O'Reilly, who are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you find the right battery for your vehicle. Need your windshield 
with wipers replaced, a brake light fix, or a quick service, they'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice, you'll find the employees at O'Reilly Auto Parts are knowledgeable, helpful, and best of all, friendly. And by the way, I was just at O'Reilly not that long ago, within the last month, and guess what? Needed some help with the alternator, had some questions with the batteries, they helped me right away, and did it right there in the parking lot. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto, do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit them at O'ReillyAuto.com slash 2pros. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash 2pros. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. All right, game off. we got to pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. I know what you're saying. Flag on the play. You already talked about that, but there's just so much good stuff in this game. In Monopoly Go, you can team up with friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. The more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock, and there's so much to get. Unique stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges. A ton include their new unique mini-games like Digging for Treasure or a Robot Pachinko Machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go, so get off the bench and go download it now free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! What's the secret to catching prize-worthy fish in exotic waters? Learning to fish like a local with Fishing Booker. Hey, Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. There's only one way to turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day, and that's with the valuable knowledge of a local guide. With FishingBooker.com, you have the world's largest booking platform of local fishing guides right at your fingertips. Use Fishing Booker's easy-to-use online booking system and discover thousands of local fishing charters from around the world ready to share their tricks of the trade. Create your perfect fishing experience and search for charters by location, species, salt versus freshwater, and more. Plus, it's smooth sailing with Fishing Booker's simple online payment method. You'll always fish with confidence when you start fishing like a local. Start your angling adventure now with Fishing Booker. Visit FishingBooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. You've put it off long enough. It's time to replace your tires. Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. Touring tires for commuter comfort. Performance tires for sporty handling. All-terrain tires for on- and off-road adventure. Go to TireRack.com to get started. Not sure where to begin? Use the Tire Decision Guide to get a personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from the full line of Michelin tires. Shipped fast and free to a recommended installer near you or choose the convenience of mobile tire installation they'll bring your new tires to your home or office and install them on site it doesn't get much easier than that go to tirerackcom sports to see their michelin test results tire ratings and consumer reviews and be sure to check out all the current special offers great tires and a great deal what more could you ask for that's tirerackcom sports tirerack.com the way tire buying should be who may not know it's yeah. like hey we're gonna do game of you know the game of uh the game th- of zones game of zones which yeah. is insanely popular 
but I don't even remember. But you find somebody who wants to sponsor that. Yeah, State, that, State Farm did it this year. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the content is built basically with the idea, knowing it's already sold. Somebody's going to pay millions of dollars to put this thing on. That's right. right. That's and right. It's not necessarily like. Uh, the Cleveland Browns come to you and they say, hey, we want a good article to be written about this. And by the way, I'm Clay Travis. This is the Wins and Losses podcast. We're talking with Dave Finocchio, who's one of the co-founders of the of uh, Bleacher Report. Uh, so, But to, to give people a context on what you mean by content and partnership, like that's kind of the way things work now. Yeah, so when they're pitching Game of – I think McDonald's did Game of Zones the year before. So State Farm this year, you know, they're negotiating an amount of money per episode – uh, State Farm's getting essentially what's called branded content. Yeah. Um, so they actually do some. The Game of Zones is an animated uh, show. If you're not familiar with it, um, that's kind of like a blend between Game of Thrones and, and the NBA universe. Um, but they're actually making little cartoons that might be like 10 second ads that are about State Farm versus about Game of Zones, and those get cra- like crazy distribution through us. And I think it you know it makes State Farm look cool. And uh, and there's months of work that goes into selling a deal like that. There's a lot of people who are listening to us right now, and they're like, I'd like to make a m- money in sports media somehow, right? Like either as a content person or as a business person. Uh, it evolves so quickly. Uh, what advice would you give them? Like pretend that you were 21 years old, and this is the last semester where you're killing time on yeah. Notre Dame's campus, and you've downloaded this podcast and you're listening and they're like, man, I'd like to be the next Dave Finocchio. What would you tell people out there listening that to you seems like an opportunity? And also keeping in mind that things move so quickly, it's hard to forecast where the business is going. There, there are a couple of ways to go about it. One is the traditional way is just scrap and get in the door somewhere. Like, however, doesn't matter how any, much you're going to get paid. Like, uh, it doesn't matter. It's like how much you get paid the first couple of years, or even what you're doing. I don't think matters very much. I think people and their parents like way over obsess around like. What what job and what trajectory are you on when yeah. you're 24, 25? It doesn't matter. Like go in somewhere, build a work ethic, like learn how to um, like do politics inside of a bigger company yes. or, or whatever and just like start investing in yourself and learning. I think if if that's the case, just like – and you want to work in sports, just go somewhere and get started and then learn more and figure out where to go next. Um, the rule I always try to tell people, especially young people at Bleach Report because we don't – People usually don't ascend at Bleacher Report the way they could in the past. It's a bigger company. Yeah, and there are harder. more people on the depth chart ahead of you. So what I always say to people when they ask me for advice is, like, if you spend two or three years here and you feel like your learning curve is not as steep as it used to be, like you're learning slower than you used to and there isn't another opportunity for you here where you can keep learning as quickly, get the hell out of here. Go do something else. Um, when you're young, you have to invest in yourself and just keep learning, learning, learning. If you want to be more ambitious and not – Go hustle for somebody else and like get inside a company. I, my advice on like if you want to start something in the sports space, um, one, um, not to be uh, like cheesy, but you kind of need to skate to where the puck is headed, not where it is now. Yes, you need to have a perspective on where the industry is going, and you need to make a bet on that. Um, you're not necessarily going to be right, but like if you're going to have the guts to do it, just go go do it. And then you get a lot of people who do that. The mistake I see them make is they don't understand um, that that opportunity needs to be big. Like yeah. A lot of people get really into these things that they care about. You mentioned that earlier. It's like the sports editor who's doing something where they're essentially writing for their peer group versus understanding the, the, the idea you need to chase has to be something that has a chance to have mass appeal. 
So you you've seen got, that on Instagram, right? With like the House of Highlights and how yeah. quickly some of that stuff has grown. It's it's just insane, right? Um, yeah, that was my favorite thing that we've ever bought. House of Highlights was uh, um, just a kid, right? I mean, just a young guy who starts. Uh, yeah, Omar, Omar was a senior at University of Central Florida. Had the coolest voice in sports we'd ever seen. Um, Doug Bernstein started to get me to look at it, and we, uh, uh, yeah, that was. That was a really, really great acquisition, and I think worked out really well for Omar too. So, what's next for you? Um, I'm honestly like, like trying to not even think about it right now. I've been. Could I've you? Been, could you never work again now if you wanted to? Did you make enough off of Bleacher Report that you could? I mean, it's not like you're going to be like, a, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos, but if you wanted to just spend the next 20 years of your life, kind of like just, living on a beach in Mexico or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, uh, but is that something that appeals to you, or do you know? Um. No, I don't think so. I'm like, my attitude is more like I, like I did this for 14 years. Um, just to put that same filter I just mentioned about learning, I kind of felt like my learning curve was flattening out. I was kind of getting bored. Yeah. Still, I had the coolest job in the world, right? But right, um, I was less like I was so used to solving tough problems and like growing quickly. And my job the last year plus or so more like managing HR issues and figuring out how to hit revenue numbers and doing P&L trade-offs and stuff. It was a great experience, but um, was not as exciting to me as some of the stuff in the past. So I think my plan is get away for a little while and see if I have enough energy to do something else that um, that I could be really proud of someday. Some, I don't know if I'll ever do something as impactful as Bleacher Report again, but I, w- I would love to try versus my fear was if I sat around there for another three or four years, then I could just kind of be like, eh, like I'm just going to chill it for the rest of time here. And yeah. I kind of don't accomplish anything else. And I, I would rather, um, whether I succeed or fail, I'd rather give a go at trying to get inspired to do something else. I know I said, I might've said last question, but this is the real last question. I feel like nowadays everybody is constantly criticized, right? And you guys might have gotten an early version of that at Bleacher Report where you weren't, quote unquote, the cool kids on the Internet. right? Yeah. And there were a lot of people who took shots at you guys. You built a business from nothing. Uh, you scaled it up all the way to several hundred million dollars to sell it. It's now got 500 employees. I feel like the Internet is steeped in criticism. What would you tell people who are trying to build something about people who are going to take shots at them along the way? What, yeah. did you, what have you learned? Really early on, we figured out that one responding to critics, there's like literally nothing good that can come from it unless it's helping to promote your bet. Your like unless it's in your best interest in a very direct way. Um, there's there's no point. I I always believed in the long term value proposition of what we were doing. I knew that I wasn't proud as a sports like I have. Um, I'm a content snob in twenty thousand different ways. Like I knew that the content we were producing at times wasn't content that I was always proud of but i believed in the playbook we were running that if we kept doing it and kept like building a business that it would get to a point where i would be really proud of the content and the user experiences and the products and and we did that um i'm really proud that i stuck it through and got it to the point where i built something that i'm really proud of uh like i think you just have to believe in yourself and like just play the long term people are so freaking sensitive these days you know it's like uh like i'm a big warriors fan um we've just been through this kevin durant saga I have a lot of respect for that guy in certain ways um, and in others with like I just like can't believe that he cares so much about he would what create he, anonymous social media accounts to yeah, respond. I mean, I'd like, I, I sort of get it, but at a certain point, um, 
it's like you have to realize that you have you are in a position in life that 99.99 whatever percent of people are never going to be in and like it may might make them feel better for 10 seconds to take a shot at you for whatever reason um it doesn't matter like so i never people said so many nasty things about us early on that i just developed thick skin and i just like i just don't give a shit um i don't and these days whether it's whoever comes after us like i'll always be pretty level-headed about stuff um and I've had plenty of people. I've had Mark Cuban blow me up, or oh, Dave, really? Dave yeah, Portnoy, or who, yeah. whoever it is. And I just like I think it's funny, and I've never. I just don't care. It's like all part of the game. Kind of similar in that respect. This has been outstanding. Dave Finocchio, co-founder of Bleacher Report. We need to talk again soon. I know we're going to golf this weekend. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I uh, appreciate you spending the time here. Good luck on the triathlon. Welcome to Nashville. Thanks. Great to be here. Uh, make sure you download. Hope you enjoy them. Give me feedback. Let us know what you think. This has been the Wins and Losses Podcast. I'm Clay Travis. He's Dave Finocchio. Check out Bleacher Report. We'll be back with you next week. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. 